if it's been a while since you've been in high school or perhaps college, maybe you can remember back in English class and your teacher would assign you a novel about that thick that you're supposed to be taking home and reading and then discussing in class. Some of you probably sucked it up in 24 hours, but for most of us, it was like pondering our way across Siberia by foot. And so that's why God invented Cliff's Notes. Now, today I imagine you can get the equivalent of what was then Cliff's Notes online, but these were little yellow and black, tiny little booklets that summarized the theme and the characters in a novel. Now, today, as we're in Hebrews chapter 11, we need a version of Cliff Notes because as we've been working through um, the writer's a litany of people from the Old Testament who had faith in God despite real difficulties. For an example, for us, we come across three short verses, verse 20, 21, 22, about three different people, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, whose stories cover the last half of the book of Genesis, that is 25 chapters. If we don't tell their stories, what's said here will not make much sense. And perhaps there are any number of us who have never read these stories or have forgotten what these men went through in their lives. But if we tell every detail, we'll be slogging through Siberia. So we're trying to steer our middle course today. And um, what we'll do is spend the most time on verse 20, a much shorter time on verse 21, and a shorter time yet on verse 22. So when we're finished verse 20, don't think, ah, we're only a third of the way through. We're farther than that. We have been looking until now for a number of weeks at the faith of Abraham and how he had to wait for a long time to have a son that God promised and how once God gave him that son, God said, offer him up as a sacrifice and only at the last minute stopped him because he wanted to see Abraham show that he revered God more even than he loved his son. Today, we're in the three generations following Abraham. These people are commonly called the um, patriarchs of the Jewish nation, the fathers of the Jewish nation. And what they each show, and the reason it seems to me why the writer of Hebrews picked what he said about them, is that for each of these men, at the point of death is where they exercised a faith that was worth underlining. Death for them was not the end, as someone has said, death was a milestone towards something greater. Their faith extended to God's promises even beyond their own funerals. So, let us start. Hebrews 11.20 By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Very easy for those three verses to just zip by you like a road sign when you're doing 70 miles an hour down the highway. So let's take it one at a time. Isaac's faith on his deathbed. That's in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed his sons Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Now, Isaac was the son of Abraham. He had a beautiful wife named Rebekah, but she was barren. And yet God had promised that it was through Isaac that the promises to Abraham that a great nation would come. 
And so Isaac prayed for his barren wife, and they had to wait 20 years until God finally gave them a pregnancy. But in this pregnancy, it was difficult. She was expecting twins. And we read in Genesis that the twins jostled each other. That is much too benign a word for the way it actually reads. They were literally crushing each other. It was violent, so violent, she simply didn't know what to do. So she prayed and asked for an answer, and God gave her a response through a prophet. I don't know how he did it. Here's what he said from Genesis 25. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will go separate directions, and the older will serve the younger. Hmm. Isaac doubtless remembered, ah, I remembered, I, I remember Abraham, my forefather. I remember how Abraham had two sons, me, Isaac, and my brother Ishmael, and how we didn't particularly get along either. And Abraham eventually sent Ishmael away so that the promise of a great nation that would ultimately bring a great deliverer would come through my family. Now, I myself, Isaac, am going to have two sons, and God's going to distinguish and separate them, and the older one will serve the younger one. That is, my son Esau will serve Jacob. And this is true of also of their descendants. And so much of Jacob's story fleshes, I mean, uh, Isaac's story, and then Jacob fleshes this out. <clears throat> so what happened was this. Um, at birth, the twins had little in resemblance. Esau was born first. What was most noticeable about him was the Bible says that his whole body was like a garment of hair. Do not picture a little peach fuzz. Because the word hair here, spelled slightly differently, is the word for goat. His whole body was like a matted rug. Um, The second born was smooth-skinned. And what was noticeable about him was not how hairy he was, because he wasn't. But as his older brother was born, Isaac, I mean, uh, Jacob came out holding onto the heel of Esau. And so his name was Jacob because the verb Jacob means to grab a heel. Or that is, that's figurative, to try to replace somebody else, to try to get ahead of somebody else, to try to take their spot. The boys grew. Esau, as you may recall from Genesis, was an outdoorsman. He was a skilled hunter. He was a man of the open country. He was a sportsman. And he was his dad's favorite, mainly because dad loved venison stew which Esau brought home regularly now Jacob we read was a quiet sort of guy he lived quote among the tents and not surprisingly he was his mother's favorite because they spent a lot of time together at home now they grew older and generally in that culture the eldest son gets what was known as the birthright the birthright means When the inheritance is doled out, the eldest gets a double share. And once the father dies, the elder becomes the head of the family, and the others need to respect his authority. But that's about to change with these two. Because one day, Jacob is at home cooking stew. And he got pretty good at it, apparently. Now, his older brother, Esau, was out roaming about with his bow and arrow, hunting game, but came back empty. He came in from the open country 
and smelled the stew. And he said, oh, I would love some of that. Now, really, the way I just described it doesn't do justice to it because obviously Esau was absolutely famished. McDonald's had not come to Canaan as of yet on every street corner. And so he had to come home. So after walking miles and miles, he said, oh, give me some of that stew. Literally, give me that red stuff. Said twice, oh, that red stuff. He's just slobbering on the floor, wanting it. And so from his reddish hair everywhere and from the red stew that he craved, he was nicknamed Edom, E-D-O-M, which is the word for red. The Edomites became the descendants of Esau. They became the nation of Edom, which was to the south of Israel. Well, Jacob said, okay, just a small cost to that. Sell me your birthright. Sell you my birthright. What do I care about birthrights if I starve to death? Yes, yes, yes. Take it, take it, take it. Give me the stew. And he slurped it down. He got the bread and he got up, it says, and he went out. And the Bible says he despised his birthright. It doesn't mean he hated his birthright. It means he thought small of it. He didn't give it the reverence and the due that it was worth because it was invaluable. So he gave in to his immediate craving. He was blinded to the long-term good. Now, years passed. Esau grew to be a very ungodly man, which was indicated in the way that he craved the stew more than he craved the spiritual blessings that would flow down through Abraham and Isaac to the firstborn. He married several women, Hittite women, who were a pain in the neck to Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, and were apparently just a piece of work and not very fun to be around. So now it comes time that Isaac is an old man, and he realizes, I'm going to die soon. And he says, I'm going to give a blessing to my son. Now, in the ancient world, a father's blessing came near the end of his life. And it was the time when this birthright was formally sealed. As best I can tell, it's something like this. Um, there's a marriage. <clears throat> Two people are engaged. It's all settled. But at the marriage ceremony, the ring is put on and it seals the deal. That's what the blessing, it seems to me, was. It is Calling God's power down on a son, whether you believe in the true God or whether you believe in some fake God, for most people, it was just a wish. Oh, I hope that this happens or God may it happen. But for these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth, when they called a blessing down, God made it so that what they called down actually happened. And so here, Isaac is now 137 years old, and he says, Esau, come I want to give you my blessing. Tell you what I'd love beforehand, though. Do you think you could take your bow and arrow, go out, find some wild game, and make some of that stew that I love? So Isaac knows exactly what he's doing. God has predicted that the elder, Jacob, I mean Esau, will serve the younger, um, uh, Jacob, but Isaac doesn't care. Isaac is going to trump God and give his blessing and thus the birthright to Esau anyway. And so he resists God's prediction and he tries to bless Esau despite the fact that Esau is clearly not the kind of godly man in the line of spiritual blessing that should be there, especially as indicated by his two Hittite wives. Now, as father Isaac and son Esau are talking and Esau goes out to hunt game, mom overhears that is Isaac's wife and she's thinking to herself probably something along these lines 
Well, the prediction that I got from God was that Esau will serve Jacob, and thus that Jacob will get the birthright, and that Jacob actually bought Esau's birthright, and that's the way it ought to be, but it looks like it's not going to be this way. Another hour, and this blessing is going to be given to the wrong son and forever lost to Jacob. I don't know that God can be trusted, so let's jump in there and make things happen. And so mom comes up with a plan. Jacob, she says, this sounds just wild and crazy, but it's true. She says, Jacob, quick, go out in the backyard, get two goats. Let's kill them. I'll cook them quickly. I'll make some of the stew that your father loves. And then you get Esau's clothes and put them on. Now you think, how is that going to work? What's going to work? Because Isaac is 137 years old and he can hardly see. He has to rely on sound and smell and touch in order to identify anybody. So Jacob puts on Esau's clothes. And just like um, a person's clothes, depending upon their profession, you can tell what they do. Perhaps they work around smoke and maybe you sell smell smoke on them. Or perhaps they work in a barn and it just has kind of a, a country barnish smell. So Esau's clothes had the smell of the open field and the hunting life and so forth. Not only did he have clothes like that, but Esau, but uh, Jacob's skin was smooth and he knew that wasn't going to fly. And so he took goat's hair and he puts him on his hands and around his neck and goes in there. Don't you wish you could have seen him walking in there like this or Isaac blind as a bat? And he says, uh, Father, I've come home and I've got this stew, which mom had made. Now, Isaac is a bit suspicious. <clears throat> Who are you? I'm Esau, your son. I'm back with the game you asked for. Well, the voice sounds like my son Esau. Oh, Dad, come on. Feel me here. Feel my hands. Feel my neck. Yeah, smell me. Well, everything else tells me that it's, it is Esau there, I guess. And so, Dad... Lifts his hands, doubtless, or puts his hands on his son and pronounces this blessing. Legally, in that culture, that was binding. But even more so, it was binding because God had promised it would happen. Here's the blessing he gave him from Genesis 27. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and of new wine. May nations serve you and kings bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. Isaac gave him through faith All the material blessings he could want, the protection of God, and authority over his family, and authority over the surrounding nations. Now, Esau comes back. He makes the stew. He comes inside to his father's tent. Dad, I have the stew. Are you ready for the blessing? And we read that Esau, I mean that Isaac, trembles violently. Who is this I'm talking to? Well, Esau, of course. Then who was it I just blessed with the birthright and with all good things? What do you mean? Jacob was in here 
twice that rascal tricked me. Once he stole my birthright, and now he's stealing my blessing. And Isaac said, I did bless him. And Esau, he will be blessed. And Esau is so upset. We read in Hebrews that he weeps and he pleads with his father, 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 is there no blessing left for me? And Isaac says, Yes, indeed, there is. From Genesis 27, Isaac says, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of the heavens above. <clears throat> you will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But there's a sliver of good news. When you grow restless, you will throw off your brother's yoke from your neck. He's talking about the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob. And it was really then a prophecy about the future of Israel and of Esau's descendants, the nation of Edom. Edom was to the south of Israel, and it was a rugged mountain area with relatively little fertile soil. And here Isaac is predicting the great struggles between Israel and Esau's descendants, Edom. After the exodus from Egypt, when the Jews were walking up to the promised land, the Edomites would not let the Israelites pass. They had to do a wide detour after traipsing 40 years in the desert. And the Edomites and the Israelites became the worst of enemies, were at war all the time. Finally, Israel conquered them and really put the thumb on them. But eventually, Edom revolted, as it was the prophecy. Now we read in Hebrews eleven twenty, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. How in the world does all this nonsense we've been reading about Evidence faith on Isaac's part. Well, the first thing is this. He believed God's promise to Abraham. God had promised his father Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will curse those who curse you and bless those who bless you. I'll give you the land of Canaan. The whole world will be blessed because of you. Now this, Isaac believed, despite the fact that his dad had come within inches of killing him with a knife. This was believed by Isaac, despite the fact that he himself had to wait 20 years for a child when he was supposed to be in the line of succession. He believed God's promise, despite the fact that Isaac, in passages that we overlooked just for speed's sake, had all kinds of conflicts with the Philistines in the area that kept on filling up his wells when Canaan was supposed to be his land. He believed God, even though um, he had Saul, there were disappointing marriage with his son Esau, he believed God's promises. And so whether he was trying to bless Esau or whether he was actually blessing Jacob, here's what one person said, only by faith... Could a person who was a sojourner in Canaan, that is an alien, that is a foreigner, speak of people who would serve his descendants and of nations who would honor his descendants? In other words, as Hebrews opens in chapter 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Jacob believed those promises really were, I'm sorry, Isaac really were coming down through the lines. But secondly, he showed his faith by yielding to God when God overruled what he himself was trying to do. He tried to bless Esau. God saw to it that he blessed Isaac. And yet, uh, that he blessed 
Sorry, you can tell how confusing this has been for me studying this all week. <laughs> uh, when he tried to bless Esau, God saw that he actually blessed Jacob. That he saw the finger of God in the fact that he was tricked and that he accepted that his less favored son Jacob would become the ruler over his more favored son Esau. He didn't try to withdraw the blessing. He said to Esau, I have blessed him and he will be blessed. He knew then that God's savings plan would be fulfilled through Jacob's line. Faith accepts God's dealings in how things turn out with our children. This is a very hard lesson. My wife and I are privileged to have eight children, all of whom are firm believers in Jesus. I look out at this congregation at many of you who have worked very hard to raise your children in the right path. And a number of them are very much walking away from Jesus. This is an exquisite pain, as many of you have described. I wish it were someone else bringing this part of the message here. But on behalf of God, I need to bring it. Faith accepts how things will shake out with our kids. Faith believes that God is wise and God is good and that God will do what's right. And faith believes that in the long run, if not in the short, I will understand and I will agree with God and I will say, Lord, you have done all things well. And so Esau was left by Isaac and Isaac turned his his um, words to his son, Jacob. And he said this, Jacob, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of people. May he give you and your descendants the blessing of Abraham so that you may take possession of the land and live as an alien, that you live in now as an alien, the land that God gave to Abraham. So that's how Isaac showed his faith. Isaac's favoritism drove him to scheme. Isaac's faith drove him to yield to God. Now we come to the second of the three people. Hebrews eleven twenty one. Jacob's faith on his deathbed. We read in Hebrews, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. <clears throat> Now, after Jacob's birthright trick and his stealing of the blessing, his brother Esau, not unsurprisingly, said, I'm going to kill that kid. I'm going to wait till dad dies, and then I'm going to slit his throat. And so Jacob had to flee for his life, and he fled far away to live with his uncle for some 20 years. While he was there, he married two of his uncle's daughters, and he married their slave girls as concubines so he had four wives as it were you say what you mean he married his cousins this was not forbidden at the time it was not a problem now while he was far away hundreds of miles away living with his uncle and his relatives there away from threatening Esau he grew wealthy and he did so through his business practices of, of herding sheep and he was ethically questionable in how he went around it we don't know that he actually cheated anybody, but he certainly outfoxed his uncle, who was his protector and his business partner. 
and he was still scheming hundreds of miles away from home. (coughs) He grew wealthy with money and with flocks and herds, and he grew wealthy by having 12 children between his various wives. And one day he got fed up with his uncle, who was fed up with him, and without telling his uncle, while his uncle was gone, he got his four wives, his 12 kids, and he says, let us go, and off they took back to the land of Canaan. Now here is Jacob, a schemer in Canaan, and a scheming a schemer far away with his relatives, coming back as a schemer to the land of Canaan. Not very much changed. But God would now start humbling this man. We'll skip some of the details of how God humbled him, but here's one example. The example that Genesis singles in on. <clears throat> of all his sons, Jacob's younger son was named Joseph. His other 11 sons hated Joseph. They hated him first because Joseph was clearly his dad's favorite. And they hated him because Joseph had these dreams. Hey guys, listen to my dream. I dreamed that there were, there were 12 corn stalks or wheat stalks. I can't remember which. And, and whichever it was, that 11 of them bowed down to the one. And I'm the one and you're the 11. How did that go over? Um, and so... What they did was they contemplated, let's murder the boy. And they were going to murder him out in the open field when they were far away from home, about 50 miles. But suddenly along came Midianite slave traders. And one of them said, let's not kill him. Let's sell him to the Midianites and we'll be rid of him forever and not have his blood on our conscience. So they sold him for the proper amount of silver. Off Jacob went, off um, Joseph went, hands tied, being dragged behind a camel, as it were. And the boys found an animal, killed it, put the blood all over Jake, uh, Joseph's coat, and brought it home to Dad. Dad, we're so sorry. A wild animal killed him. Uh, Lord bless you. And that's how it was. Picture what Jacob thought of all his sons to lose that one and to lose that one by a wild animal. And so he grieved for almost the rest of his life. Meanwhile, Joseph, the son, who was still alive unbeknownst, to his father Jacob, is taken to Egypt and he's falsely accused of rape and he's thrown into prison for a good long while. While he is in prison, the great Pharaoh in the great palace has a troubling dream. And a prisoner that had been in jail with Joseph, who had had a dream that he talked to Joseph about and Joseph told him the interpretation of it by God's power, said, Pharaoh, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and Joseph has to get out of his skanky prison clothes and shave and make himself presentable. And then he walks for the first time, looking like a real human being in years, and he speaks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph says, Sir, here's what God says. Your dream means that for seven years, Egypt will have a bumper crop that's hard to imagine. And after that comes seven years of famine. You better prepare by stocking it up. And you better appoint someone who's going to oversee this project, which will be massive. Pharaoh says, anyone who can answer a dream like that must have God with him. You are the man. And so Joseph goes from the prison to being the number two man in what at that time was the most powerful empire in the world. He's the prime minister of Egypt. Back in Canaan, God is still humbling Jacob, wearing him down. Old man Jacob's parents die. 
He himself wishes he could die because he's so in grief over the loss of his son. And then on top of that, famine comes to Canaan and they hardly have anything to eat. So he sends his 10 of his 11 remaining boys down to Egypt to get food because Egypt's selling food because they're the only people that knew this was coming. The only one he keeps at home is his youngest boy because, well, I've already lost one boy. I'm going to keep the youngest here. I'm not about to lose two. The 11 to... The ten sons go down. They meet Joseph because Joseph is selling the grain. They have no idea it's Joseph because by now he is grown. He was 17 when they sold him. He's age 30 now. He looks like an Egyptian in his dress and his bearing and his manner and his language. They have no idea it's their brother. Joseph accuses them, says, you ten guys are spies from Canaan, aren't you? You are absolute spies. No, sir, we're not spies. Well, who are you then? Well, we come from Canaan. We have a father and a, and a younger brother. Oh, you do, huh? Well, let's prove that you're honest men. I'll put one of you in prison here, and the other nine can go home until you bring your brother who's still at home. See you. Do not see me again without that younger brother. Because that younger brother was the favorite of Joseph. He and that younger brother were the only two that had the same mother. And that's why I loved him. And so the boys go home. They eat for a while, but eventually the grain runs out. And they say, we've got to go to Egypt again. No way, no way, no way are you going back to Egypt again. And no way are you going to take the youngest boy, Benjamin. Dad, if we do not take him, we will all starve. The famine forces Jacob to yield. And he lets now, he lets all the boys go. And so there they go. And he says, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. They go. And through a long series of circumstances, as they go to appear before Joseph again, Joseph reveals who he is. And he sends to Canaan for his father, Jacob, and for his youngest brother, Benjamin. Jacob cannot believe it. He has been ground into the dust by Jehovah. And now Jehovah is about to lift him out of the pit. And so Jacob goes down to Egypt. And some years later, at age 147, having now ensconced himself in the middle of his 12 sons, one of whom is number two man in Egypt and has grandsons and so forth, he, he realizes it's time to die. And so Joseph comes to see his dying father, Jacob. Joseph brings with him his two sons. You remember that Joseph was given a wife by Pharaoh from one of the most powerful men in Egypt. And he had two of these boys now raised in the palace. And so he brings the sons to Jacob. And Jacob blesses Joseph's son in the same way that his father Isaac had blessed him. He's passing on the promise of God through the correct lines that God will be your God, will bless you, will make you the fathers of great nations, and that I will be, bless people who bless you and curse those who curse you. And so Jacob says the following to Joseph's two boys. May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. May the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. May the angel who has delivered me from all harm. May he bless these boys and may they increase 
greatly on the earth. And then he adds, and may they be called by my name. And what he means by that is this. Jacob knows that he has 12 sons. Jacob knows that those 12 sons are promised the promised land of Canaan eventually. And that they will be the fathers of 12 tribes. I don't know if Jacob realizes that Levi, his son, will not be given any land. Because Levi becomes the father of all the Levites and priests. And those priests are scattered throughout the entire nation. So now you have only 11 tribes to take land. One of those 11 are Joseph. And so and so Jacob says to him, Joseph, you won't get the land directly. That leaves 10 tribes worth. There's two tribes now to get more land. I'll take your boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, and I'll treat them as if they were number 11 and number 12 of my sons. When the land gets divided, it will go to them under their names. And so Manasseh and Ephraim get the land. How did Jacob have faith when he gave this? Because our passage in Hebrews says, while he was dying by faith, he blessed Joseph's sons and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Because you remember earlier in his life, his life had been marked by anything but faith. He had schemed and schemed. But by now, he understood the futility of scheming against God Almighty. And he relied on, as he quotes in his blessing, the mighty one of Jacob. And he looks beyond his death to the exodus. And then he says to Joseph, Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your father. And the point of Hebrews and Genesis is that as he did this, he sat up on his bed and he worshiped leaning on his staff. The idea is he's too weak even to sit up. So as he sits up, he leans forward on his staff. And the idea is that he is triumphant in faith even at the point of death. In summary, he believed that what God says will happen will happen And here's the big one, that God would work a good plan for his family even after his death. What do we learn from something like Jacob's blessing of his grandsons? We learn a lot of things, but the one thing we learn is about God's amazing mercy. Think about this. God honored Jacob's blessing of the two grandsons despite the fact that Isaac's wife, Rebecca, had um, schemed that Isaac had resisted passing the blessing to Jacob, that Jacob had lied and deceived, and that Jacob had been a schemer all his life. And here's what one person wrote. Although Jacob was desperately unkind to his father, and although he was pathetically misled by his mother, And was so astonishingly jealous of his brother Esau. Yet God helped him. And blessed him. And then that writer says. God's blessings are not because we deserve them. But because we need them. Finally. We come to the third patriarch. Joseph. Hebrews 11.22. By faith Joseph. When his end was near spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt to Canaan and gave instructions about his bones. You see, after 
Jake, Joseph brought his boys to be blessed by Jacob. Joseph lived another 54 years. He lived to see his grandchildren and some of his great-grandchildren. And he died at the age of 110. And while he was dying, he called those of his brothers who were still alive. And he called to them. And our passage says he spoke to them about the exodus from Egypt. In other words, he said from Genesis 50, I am about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and will take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph said this to his brothers, it seems to me, in order to caution them against getting comfortable in Egypt. They were now in a very rich part of the land as Pharaoh's guests, and it'd be easy to say, we are living the good life, let's just stay here. He says, don't do that. Your hope is in the land of Canaan, which you were promised. And it seems to me he often also says this to them because he needs to strengthen them. Because do you remember that God had given Abraham a promise that for 400 years, Abraham's descendants would be slaves in a foreign country. Joseph heard that prophecy. He knows that Egypt is that country. He knows that those 12 brothers are going to have children and they have children and they have children who will eventually be enslaved by the Pharaohs for four centuries. And so to strengthen their resolve that they not forget that God is one day going to release them. He tells them, you are on your way to the Exodus and to Canaan. Believe it. And we read here that he gave instructions about his bones. What they mean by that is this. In Genesis, here's what he said to his brothers. Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. And he said, God will surely come to your aid 400 years from now. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. So here we have Joseph, so highly honored in Egypt, the father of a large family that was going to become a great nation. And yet, as Alfred Edersheim said, and yet Joseph's last act was to disown Egypt and to choose the lot of Israel. And as Matthew Henry said, Though he had lived and died in Egypt, yet Joseph did not live and die as an Egyptian, but as an Israelite. And though you have lived and will die as an earthling, as a mere human, as part of a sinful fallen race, by God's grace may you have the faith not to die as the member of a fallen race, but as the member of a redeemed race. And so Joseph's body was never buried. Instead, according to the Egyptian custom by God's providence, he was embalmed so his body would be endlessly preserved. And thus he was put in an Egyptian kind of figure-life coffin like you see so many of the pharaohs buried in. And that, that coffin, that wooden coffin, stood or laid for some 300 years through ages of suffering and ages of slavery. And the presence of Joseph's coffin all that time told Israel, as Edersheim says, that they were only, they were only temporary sojourners in Egypt, that their eyes needed to be turned away from Egypt to the land of the promise, and that in faith they must wait for the hour when God would certainly keep his promise. Three centuries later, when Moses left Egypt, we read in 
Genesis, and he took with him the bones of Joseph because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. And we read later in the book of Joshua when the Israelites conquered the Canaanites and took the promised land that Joseph's bones were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob had brought for a hundred pieces of silver. This is an astounding story of faith at one's deathbed. I want to close by saying this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had heard multiple times directly from God. They believed that God would keep his promises despite their own sins. They believed God would keep his promises despite the passage of long periods of time. They believed that God would do what was right regarding their children. And after Joseph died, no one ever heard directly from God for 300 years when Moses heard him. But you in this room, you have heard directly from God many times. You've heard it from this pulpit, whoever's been speaking. You've heard it in Sunday school classes. You've heard it in your small group. Perhaps you've heard it through podcasts or listening to Christian radio. You've heard it in the other churches you attended. Those of you raised in Christians' home have heard directly from God through his Bible in your devotions as a family. You have heard that God has set his love on humans. You have heard that God became a human himself. You have heard that God the Son was crucified for your sins and was raised for your resurrection. And if you trust in him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be the God of the person who is sitting in your chair right now. Would you pray silently about these things? O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you have told us, you have told us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Father, give us the perseverance not to let go of that faith no matter what trials anyone in this room is going through. You have also said, Lord, that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. Would you give that faith to anyone in this room struggling to believe who has not yet believed? We pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see heaven by faith, that the things of this earth will grow dim to us, that we will trust that you know what you're doing, and we ask you especially that we may trust you with our children and trust you for the future. And now, may the great God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob be with each of you and give you faith and cause you to trust in him. Amen.